Hey guys, T from Third Phase here. Been awesome catching up with the boys on Phase 2. During this episode, we caught up and discussed our journey so far, reactions, feedback, how much it's meant to us. We also talked about something quite topical at the moment, mental health in and around rugby, and then also our thoughts on the Rugby World Cup. But thanks for tuning in. Until then, roll the tape. Hey, it's Carl here from Third Phase. The boys are back. I come from London here in Leamington Spa. Just come back from the airport. We've picked up teas, come all the way in from Dublin. What up? It is just past 2.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. So some of the challenges we're having to face. Sorry, boys. As part of our podcast is that we all live in very different parts of the country. Well, tea in a whole other country in Ireland. And I live about two hours away from, from Lima's house here in the Midlands, in Leamington Spa. But we've decided to do this, so it's something we're committed to keep doing. Now episode two, so we've had what I felt anyways, really good reactions, really good support, and a really good number of listens over the, over, the, over our first episode. Your, your, your guys' feedback, what have you had thought so far from, from the first episode? Yeah, I've, to be honest, I've had some pretty quality feedback. A lot of the boys have said that um, they really enjoyed that it was just general conversation, that it was almost like they were talking to their own mates and that what we talked about is a lot of the stuff that they talk about and 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 people who aren't involved in rugby or, you know, high-performance high sport um, seemed to resonate with what we were talking about and and how, you know, three mates just want to get together and have fun and see where it goes and if it fucks out, it fucks out. And, you know, if we if yeah. we dog shit, then, like, so be it. But for me and the way I look at it is I, I look at it as three Kiwi boys who have decided to move to the other side of the world Um growing up together, going to the same school together and just trying to have a dig at something that's a little bit out of our comfort zone. And if we can, if we sort of three mugs can have a crack at something, then maybe um, other guys like us can have a crack at what they want to have a crack at. Absolutely. I think on the back of that, Soppers, one of the cool things for me personally is I've been working in a corporate environment since I was 19 and I've always worked for someone where this is my first project, where this is mine or ours, and we can we can do with it what we like and control, we can put yeah. it out and we have control of its own destiny. I think that's been a really cool aspect and do it with two of your best mates. But then, yeah, just on the back of that, the feedback that we've got has been unreal. Like, I suppose when we dropped our first photo, there was a bit of traction there and it was like, okay, can we execute? And we probably, I don't know, half execute. <laughs> But, you know, it had a really good reception on the first episode, particularly around the banter side of things and just the, I suppose, the way we resonated with people. It's been pretty pretty awesome, pretty satisfying, and hopefully we can keep it keep it going. I think from me, what I like about it, um, coming from sort of professional rugby and being involved for 10 years, is that a lot of the time it goes fan to media, media to player, player back to media, and then the media can spin it whichever way they want. But with this, we get to control the narrative and we can talk about things that we actually feel passionate about and, 
you know, we might not have all the right answers, but we can find those answers either through bringing guys in on the podcast or just learning on the go. You know, this is kind of our, I'd, I'd say our second actual crack at it and where this goes, who knows. But mm. like my mate over here says, is is nine podcasts is 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 the goal. And if we can yeah. get there, then, you know, that's a that's a smaller. Where did that come from, yeah, Carl? So what, this is when we first starting and Googling and what makes a good pod- podcast, essentially podcast 101 really. And one of them, points were saying most podcasts don't go beyond eight episodes so for us we've set a nine goal episode over you know however long that takes you know we, we will get there some some point some way but part of that and just uh, touching on your point quickly Lima is is this platform it's I think it's that long long form platform and, and the difficulty and in, in press conferences particularly you give a player or anyone in any profession short time to answer a question and sometimes a really complex question you can't get anything out you know it's difficult to gather anyone's character or personality when you only give but when you allow these platforms in a long you know give someone an hour you really start to understand people also you just get to you know kind of have a nuanced answer with, with the, the answer can, and can go down different tracks but also understand people so you're seeing a lot more of these platforms so, you know we're not the first we're definitely not going to be the last around around these types of platforms these fan to media or fan to player I still think there is there is a space for media but in the traditional sense I it will be challenged by, by things like this and I think we were saying before when a lot of media do the same thing, you will get the same. You're going to get the same result, right? And that's cliche, but that that is a lot of the of that is the issue somewhat in 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 that space. So, however, we you know for us in this podcast, it's, it's understanding what is our intention. So, it's setting our intentions. You know, when we, we've talked about that, what we want to get out of this podcast, and make sure it continues to be a podcast that we would listen to ourselves even if it wasn't us mm. that it's and then also you know where is the where is the saying but still saying really genuine around that so you know even if it's only our parents that listen to it that it's still something that we could we would be happy as a product to put out there regardless of who's listening to it 100 percent. and i think the the key around third phase there are so many different stories that go into a human being's life, not just a rugby player, but a human being's, and to give a safe platform where people can communicate that or talk about their challenges or how they've overcome them or you know, whether it's being a Polynesian growing up in, a, in an English environment or whatever it may be, where they feel they have a, a safe enough platform, but also a space where they can actually create change and potentially create movement. And I think that's where you're seeing a lot more professional sportsmen jump on podcasts, you look at Adi Savia, Ice Project and things like that, I think you're seeing a lot more trend towards that movement because people are trying to take it into their own hands rather than let someone else, mm. I suppose, write their own story. You know, people are now starting to write their stories themselves and I think that's a really cool part of what we can do but also for our guests and for our audience is to create that immediate link between their story and potentially how the audience can resonate or how they can take principles and adapt that to their own lifestyle potentially. Yeah, and for me, what I find with this podcast, and if we get one guest, 10 guests, no guests, 
whatever it is, is that we actually control the narrative. So, like, if we sit down with someone like, for example, Jeff, Jeffrey Tomanga Allen, who's just started the club, and we do an hour episode with him, and then we send it to him, and he's like, oh, you know what, uh, at 10-minute mark, I want that out at 12-minute mark. I want that out at 13-minute Like, I want that out. And for us, I believe that our strength will come from not trying to have these clickbait headlines where he said one or two things and we've gone with this massive headline, but it actually has nothing to do with what he's actually said in the context of it. And we talked about it before in terms of the Alan Iverson analogy. You know what I mean? He, and and how he talks about practice and everybody's like, I'm talking about practice, you know, I'm talking about practice and that just blows up. But what they don't actually tell the audience is that they take that little snippet and they blow it up into what they want it to be blown up as. But if you actually know the backstory of why he's so frustrated and why he doesn't believe he needs to be talking about that, then, you know, the story gets lost. And probably actually one of the big lessons I found was we had the episode ready in between the episode being recorded and actually releasing. It took, it took a while. Part of that for me personally was almost editing, editing it. And to be fair, even after listening to it after it was released, it still wasn't perfectly edited and still learning on the fly. But there's a re- almost a reluctancy because you think, oh man, what is everyone going to think about this? When you know, And you have this fear, or, and crippling is not the right word, but it was it was feel this sense of, oh man, like what is everyone going to feel? Yeah. And it's almost the fear of fear itself. And I was the, the same when I was, when you sent it out to us, like the first edit and I was like, and I would listen over like 10 second cycles of just one little bit. And I'd be like, Oh, well, does that sound right? Do you think people like it's 10 seconds of an hour piece of content? Like no one's really going yeah, no, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. but in my head, because it's, and I think that comes back to my point around like, it's your own thing and you're putting that out there. So you have that real, like, desire to see it succeed but yeah it's man it's you almost yeah it's like fear of yeah it's, it's fear of fear of, and, and you, almost, yeah. you be it's you get really anxious right and then then it goes out and then you realize there was an overwhelming support you know in other yeah. level, at all different levels but we we've all got love and support and, and feedback i think that's the i think you know when it's a genuine you know, it wasn't harsh feedback. It was, yeah, and people were telling us things, also things we knew, but also things we didn't think about. Yeah, you know, one of the things we noticed a lot, and we'd done in that, which you can't really edit out, was a lot. We we talked over each other too much. We didn't allow stories to flourish a bit. Saying a lot of ums and ahs. You know, all, all, ums and ahs are the yeah, worst. Yeah, yeah all, all the all these things. verbal cues. Eh? Yeah, yeah, but but we know that we won't solve these oven overnight because you know we don't do this for a job. This is something that we'll, we'll get we'll get better on as, as as time goes on, but part of that setting our intention of that. So when we talk, understanding, do we want this to be a rugby based podcast? Something we we all we all love, but going yes, we do want it to be a rugby podcast, but also we want it to allow it that we will talk about other things. You know, we've we've discussed some of the guests that we look to have on, who we you know almost our wish list. We won't get all of them, obviously, but where we want our direction. Yes, we want we want rugby players on here, but we want them to allow them to be themselves too. We want we want Lima Sapuanga, Lima Sapuanga, the father, the friend, the, the sports fan, but also is an All Black. But rather than Lima, the All Black, the Wasp player, full stop. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's the 
that's the intention we want from it when we do have any person that it's 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 their story it's their it, journey yeah, essentially their journey. Yeah. yeah for sure that's great Absolutely. you know we've talked about that aren't you know they've they may like they may not even like rugby that but we, 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 we really want to have them on and, and I think it's a level that we can get to understand, I think. So, so yeah, it's, it's been good. Just cutting in here, mm. if you could have one person on this podcast, any so person, doesn't have yeah. to be you know Maybe. someone you have access to, but who would it be? Like if you could have one person come and sit, you know, like obviously we've got three mics, we've got a spare mic. Who's the person you would give your left nut for? To get on the podcast. T, you can go first on this one. I think mine would be Roger Federer. For what reason? Well, Roger came on into, he played his first Wimbledon, I think, when he was 17. And he was a real hothead, aggressive player. And then he transformed himself into this calm, composed player of all strokes, many strengths, but then also his life off the court. Like he's never had any blemishes. Like he's never had any issues. Like he's been a constant role model constant version of success and he's continually got better like even at 38 like how do you find motivation how do you stay at the top for so long or stay within that realm I think I don't know I'm extremely attracted as a sportsman as as someone who I think his mental approach to things would be really interesting and I think the way he's been yeah I just think to tap into his mental approach to particularly an individual sport where self-talk is so important and the way, like staying concentrated, particularly in moments of adversity or pressure moments, and quite often he's crumbled, but he's come through on a few occasions. I think I just think that'd be quite interesting. Carl, one of the ones we we actually talked about was Nick Four, wasn't it? So so we were talking about Nick Four. For those who don't know, he played in NZ schools. I think he was a, he was a an even under twenties possibly for New Zealand. I think he went to either Kings or Grammar. Yeah, so Auckland boy. And then I think injury stopped his, his, his rugby career there. Went on, was and, and, and a great singer and performer. Ended up singing for the All Blacks a few times, singing the national anthem for New Zealand a number of times. And then now he's gone on to become a a stage performer, performing the Lion King into London um, in, on the West End, which is is the pinnacle of, of theatre. But for someone like that, that's a really different different route. And, and you know, Lion King is the highest grossing theater show of all time so it's no joke or in terms of a of who they were who, who they would pick so i think it's someone who who's i think for me it's someone out who's always polynesian so he looks like me he doesn't look like me because he's about he's got about 16 abs on him so uh <laughs> <laughs> so, so not not close and but it's in a different realm i think so that is i obviously love rugby but we have we have we have a ton of polynesian role models in that in that space so great and I, and, I, and I love that, you know, and I love that we continue to do that because it's an avenue for that. But also it's so important that we have more when we, and, and I know he's a really proud Samoan. He really, he's still really, um, I don't know him, but he, he, I know he's still really proud of that culture. Even while here in London, which it is, it is difficult because, you know, I think I've been called uh, either Mexican or Filipino or anything but Polynesian in my time living in London, my three years in London. That's a really cool someone that's that's in that different space and allowed to be there and allowed to be in that performing and what is one of the greatest stages in, in the world. That, it's hard to answer because I probably have a hundred people I'd like to yeah, yeah. Uh, to put it into one person. I think in terms of the person we've been speaking about lately around guys who aren't necessarily in that, in that rugby space, who aren't playing rugby anymore, but 
obviously he had a love for rugby or has a love for rugby but they are doing different things so it's just understanding what what makes you tick what makes you what makes you get up and do be Simba it's only one day they have off I think uh, that they show sometimes twice a day so what you know what makes you get up and be able to sing the same songs and sing I just want to be king f- you know 10 to 10 times a week with the same vigor yeah and and, and with the same performance and and keep in shape like he does. Have you seen him when he comes out of line? Yeah, Renee's, Renee's been in watching. <laughs> she came back with love in her eyes, I think. So yeah. that's, that's difficult. Mate, yeah, 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 he yeah, comes yeah. out. He's Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. chest. <laughs> you just want to do push-ups every yeah. night? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. What about Aesop's? It's tough one, eh? Uh, if I could pick two... Oh, I, can't yeah, I, know, I know, I know, I know. Change the goalposts. I know, so I'll move the goal. Yeah, yeah. Honorable mention, honorable <laughs> mention. How about that? I'll just, you know, honor, honorable mention. I'd, I'd definitely like Sonny Bill Williams on here for obvious yeah. reasons. There's, you know, um, there's a, there's a, mate, you could probably do three, four, five podcasts on, on him. In, in a yeah. session, uh, I think so. 100%. But if, if it was, if it was a, um, if it wasn't him, and I couldn't, you know, I didn't choose him. I think I would go with someone like Serena Williams. For me personally, I like what she stands for. I like how she stands for women's rights and her story, where she's come from. You know, like she got taught by her dad, never played tennis. She's from Compton. Her sister got killed in a drive-by. Those adversities to come over the top and be arguably the greatest tennis player of all time. Mm-hmm. African-American, you know, in a sport in that's... In a predominantly white sport. Yeah, exactly. So I think someone like that would have some pretty amazing stories around her life and just where she's come from and the impact of coming from a low socioeconomic kind of area and how her and her sister arguably top 10 players of all time you know yeah so i would yeah i I think i'd like to get her on but maybe episode seven (laughs) yeah it was all a dream man yeah do you think we can get her within the nine episodes they'll be here (laughs) (laughs) what do you think they share I think there's all there's all links and particularly with these people there's been moments of adversity or career defining moments and they've been able to move past past those but then also use those experiences to successfully impact society as well. I think touching on it even it's mental health week in New Zealand and in the rugby world cup you're seeing more and more rugby players step out of the shadows. Um, in terms of shining a bit of a light on maybe a I wouldn't say it's a stigma around rugby or, or anything but there's probably an unspoken truth that there are a lot of the pressures of rugby. You would know SOPs a lot, particularly in that professional environment. The pressures are, are massive, and that just doesn't start at a professional environment. That also starts at, you know, particularly in the Polynesian, I suppose Polynesian families and Polynesian groups. So how, how have you yeah. how have you dealt with a you know, loss over your of your of your career? Because I know you won't mind me saying this, but I always felt when we were younger, you dealt with loss a lot more difficult. It affected you for a lot longer than in it, and not not just now, but over the last few years, you've obviously really seen that that change that you're, you're a lot longer than than it does now. You know, almost almost days, if not weeks. You know, losses would really would really sit with you, and as long as I've known, but now taken on 
yes, it's a loss, but on to the next. And I know we've spoken this about a number of times, even spoken, speaking about this earlier. Do you feel that or is that just you don't notice it now, is it? Yeah, for me, I think it comes with age and and the people you end up hanging around with, especially as you got older. So as a young kid, all you want to do is win games. You want to play as well as you can. You know, like you're reading the papers, you're reading social media, you're reading all the comments. You know, like when you play an awesome game, everyone's like, "Wow, this guy's unbelievable. Like this guy's the man. And then you play not so good game and everyone's like, fuck, who's this dickhead? Like, you know what I mean? And, and, and it comes back to actually finding a little bit of perspective and the fact that the people who make these comments online, they actually don't know you from a bar or soap. They don't know what you go through day to day. They don't know your work week. They don't know what's going on in your life. So if you put it into that perspective, like winning and losing a game doesn't actually matter to me. Like mm. it doesn't mean like if I've prepared well, I've given my all during the week and I know I've left no stone unturned and we still lose, it's not because I didn't prepare. Mm. And I'll... I'm the only one who knows whether or not I've prepared well or not. Do you know what I mean? And if I can look myself in the mirror after a game and be like, look, you did everything you were supposed to do during the week. You stretched, you ate well, you did your extras, blah, blah, blah. But you came up short. Then it's just about taking the learnings from that game and just moving on as quickly as possible. Because if I think about it now, as I've gotten, old, as I've gotten older, as I've had daughters – as I've been able to get a fiance and and a family, is that really rugby is just a game? It's just a game, and there's more shit going on in the world than winning and losing a game. And that, and that's how I see it now. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I will give everything I can for eighty minutes to win a game. But if I don't win the game, my daughters, when I walk through the door, they're not going to care yeah. whether their dad has won a game or not. They just want to see him and have a hug and, and you know, like let's have a wrestle or, or you know, like they'll come up to me and and be like, oh, I want to have that lolly and I'll just be like, oh, here, don't tell mum. It's not a almost a knock on your competitiveness, which I think that's what a lot of guys take it as. Yes, you should hate losing. There are learnings from that, I think, a little bit. And that, that is a life. That's a life thing, isn't it? You, we all experience loss in some bigger than others and mm. you'll continue to till to, to the, to the, to the day you die. Misunderstanding, and I guess probably for you too, because you probably come from the true, truest, truer side of rugby, right? Like played rugby in, in kind of all corners of the earth now. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I think there is definitely an added pressure being an import player, and particularly these small clubs, like you're out playing for a country club where they're looking after you. They look after your apartment. Yeah, the, they pay for you to fly over, and you're kind of the it guy. There is a big pressure to perform. Firstly but then also to make sure the team is winning. And it's all well and good having individual performances, but if your team isn't winning, the whole reason they've invested in you is to push for promotion. So if that's not flowing through, then that pressure does weigh down on you. And I remember being in Kilkenny and it was like, shit, what's actually going on? Because we dropped our first two games, but then pushing on from that and growing from that, I think. And that was a big learning experience, mm. but then also balancing coaching with that. It's all Yeah, and I guess in these small communities – sports clubs are the heart of some of these communities, right? So yeah, it, it really is 
really is so important to them, and and it should be. And, and, and going through those wins and losses is a, is we all face it. You know, I think it's, it's it's not it's not unique to professional sports. There will always be there are always going to be trolls on on social media and all that, but but I guess it becomes increasingly difficult. But it's so much better, I guess, when guys can talk about it, right? So you know what we've been discussing over the last. The last week is is, is the Tamalo documentary, which which was released I think last week, uh, featuring Rodney Ayu. So if you haven't watched that, please uh, get onto YouTube, type Tamalo documentary. It's a, it's a short film with Rodney really sharing his story. So really really powerful story from Rodney, and I'm sure it was not not easy to 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 sit down and sh- and share that story because it is you know in being Polynesian. Yeah, it's a it's a really conservative culture, so it's somewhere where that's not not really so open to to talk about his fight with depression, his self worth, which he he questioned through that through that time, his his questioning around his his family, which is not easy, but also the pressure he had of being a rugby player from his 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 network, particularly his father, and it's so so difficult because. You think you know he, he he made the Canterbury team. It was I think, and then you know either one you think that's terms of the team he was playing for, teams, terms of the players he was playing with, success written all over. You know that, that you'd be you'd be happy days, but you know it's a, it's a Polynesian community that you know I love and I'm so proud to be part of that. But it's also that I know that it is not it is not unique. It is not the only story of that. You know I've, there there is there is more of that, but by by Rodney being able to share that story. You know, you look at Rodney, hundred plus kgs, big boy. You think, oh, nothing must ever face him, right? But for him to be able to be vulnerable, be able to say that, you know, be beyond beyond powerful. So, I mean, what what are you? What's your what's your take on that? Yeah, for me personally, I think it was very emotional. It was a very emotional watch for a few things. One is that rugby players, especially, don't open up. Rugby's a tough sport. It's a sport where, you know, you see guys getting gashes on the head and, you know, they walk straight back out on the field because they're meant to be gladiators and and they're meant to be, you know, strong and fast and fit and they're meant to have it all together. But I think sometimes what fans forget is that rugby players are just normal human beings. You know, like we love to have a beer, we love to have a punt, you know, yeah. like we love to hang in off our mates, you know, like we love going on a stag do. It's, I think it can be refreshing knowing, like fans knowing that rugby players do things exactly like people who work a nine to five. And what I took away from that documentary was that, you know, it's okay to be different as a rugby player. Like it's okay to want to share your feelings and, it's okay not to be okay as well, mm. you know, like for a lot of people, they see the glitz and the glamour, they see the travel business class, they see the free gear, they see the money. And, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, oh man, you're getting paid so much money to do a job you love. And yeah, you get to do a job you love and and things like that. But also, if you look at Rodney's story, you know, he's got five kids, mm-hmm. um, a wife, away from all the comforts of home, no family over here, 
you know, imagine moving sort of 30,000 miles away from, from your home where it takes 30-plus hours to get home and, and see your family and you're only, you know, all you have is each other. Mm. So, yeah, I, I just – I take so much strength from that documentary to say that, you know, like it can be done and you've just got to be willing if you are feeling down, if, you know, chips aren't – falling your way and and the bounce of the ball isn't going where you want it to go that these things will pass and I think that's that's a story that's a story of perseverance that's a story of someone that was willing to not give up and and keep going and he's made a fantastic career in the northern hemisphere you know like for a lot of kids they just see New Zealand as a way to make their career great. But guys have come over this side of the world. Look, I look at guys like, you know, Rodney who's played for Ireland. Uh, you got Bundy Aki. you got James Lowe knocking on the door of Ireland. Eventually you've got Willis Halaholo looking to play for um, Wales. You've got Hadley Parks. You know, you've got so many players who have come over here and taken the opportunity and, and flourished and they probably at some point have gone through hard times and managed to get through it by like you said Carl being vulnerable and talking and you know everybody has their bad days but uh, I think if you can remember that the bad days will pass and the sun will come up tomorrow then there's only you can only go forward you can only go forward from there and, and remember that there are worse people out in the world than you and if you can remember to have a bit of I'd say you know a bit of great a uh, bit of gratitude for what you have and and remember that that what you have now is something that this is what you wish for at one point in your life mm. what I took from Rodney Ayew and his story was that it's never too late to re-engineer your thought process like you can although He's further down his track. He's well established. He's starting to forgive his father now for the challenges that they had. Like it's never too late to change your thought process or to adapt or to, I suppose, continue learning and to continue growing. And we're seeing that within our friend groups now as well. But that was probably the the biggest thing or most inspirational thing that I took away is that he's someone who's highly successful. He's obviously got you know amazing kids and a loving wife but he's still open to changing his mindset and still accepting change in order to better himself and also to better those around him. Um, so that was the big thing that I took around, took away from that, and that's probably what I try and adopt a little bit while I'm in Ireland as well. One of the things that I really started to think about was in, in, in the Polynesian community space, so Polynesian players make up about 25% of, of, of rugby players worldwide, which proportionately is it's unbelievable that the, the impact that they make on the, on the game and but also how important they are in the game and one of the things was is is there an unhealthy pressure to to make it yes yes you know any any elite sport is is in that Rodney story almost shows that a, a lot a lot of that it, it seems to be uh, are we putting a lot of pressure on our boys boys to make it you have kind of thought thoughts on that I think there's well there's certain obviously certain different scenarios but i've seen the both worlds of it i've seen parents who are extremely supportive and get behind their children 
and all their families all buy in. I've seen people really succeed, but on the other hand, like I remember playing under 12s rugby back in Wellington in New Zealand and one of the boys, Island boys, crying in the showers because he knew he played bad, he had dropped the ball a few times and he was going to get a hiding from his dad when he got home. Like So there's, there's two ends of the spectrum. But I think from a young age, it's not so much the families that put them on a pedestal, but it's also the rugby outlet. So like Wellington Rugby will jump on someone really quickly, promote them really high and say, oh, this is the next person. Everyone feeds into that and then that adds to the pressure and then the family realises the opportunity around it, mm. particularly in the lower socioeconomic areas. Um, and that it's it almost turns into like a, it's a combined beast of, of multiple things. Mm. Being black and white about it, I do think there's potentially too much pressure on PI youth, particularly successful sportsmen. Yeah, and I, and I think it's and so so I'm 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 first generation New Zealander. You know, my parents moved over over in the eighties. You know, my parents come over nothing. You know, absolutely nothing. The thing was to make some money that they would then you know send back to their family. And, you know, and one of the key points of that is that we look at places like like Samoa. If you look at their economy. Their biggest contributor to the economy is uh, is expats from overseas sending money home. So when you when you have these things, that you, you realise how crucial it is mm-hmm. that that there's so much pressure about when you do make any money that it is it is important. And I've I've struggled with that, you know, growing up growing up with that, you know, with with this with that culture. I understand it more now now that I am older. What is key, I think, in a lot of that is no one can ever understand your struggle. So, for example, yeah. is that I can never understand the struggle. You know, my dad will always talk about it, but I'll never, I can never fully understand what he's been through because he was obviously always trying to have us have a better life than he did and that you'll continue, you know, Lima, you're, you're, you're obviously pursuing that for your children and we will do that for ours when we do have ours. Yeah. And they will never understand, you know, and that is so, so difficult to fall for, for that, to put someone in that position. So, when that pressure builds through these communities, it is a struggle. So, and I think even even my old man, you know, he, he wasn't like a big loving, you know, throughout growing up, yeah. you know, But but now he's he's got more than love for me because he was working so hard. So he, his mind was in the, I'm a, I just need to do everything for my family. Which yeah, is, you know, and I I beyond respect for him for that and I'm, he's you know one of my biggest role models for that but sometimes that line does cross you know and it's it's, it's yeah. so difficult it's so difficult and, absolutely and, and and there's there's success stories and i know he's proud of me now and when we were growing up when we were young so he's just building for us to fly right i can see how that is you know it was only a little bit over and it would have been it would have been too much or a little bit so that i think that's that's that is because that story i'm not that's that story is repeated over and over again you know yeah. of, of those families and just the pressures of not only the family you have, you know, your, your, you know, your children and your wife and your husband and, and your home in New Zealand, but you're also providing for a family that's back in back in the islands. And when you're not making a lot of money, that, that pressure continues and mm. builds, you know, every single day because of it. So, yeah, yeah I, I, what's, what's your... Yeah, so you know, what's your you yeah. like your... The eldest child in your family. So you've got younger well, siblings yeah, one that of look six, up to yeah. you. One of six... You're also, without blowing too much smoke, like you were a bit of a prodigy growing up, like you were the talk of the town, you were, everyone knew who you were, and that's translated now, but how did you find that pressure, or did you feel it was too much, or too little, or did you relish it, or were there, like, how did you face that mentally? Yeah, I guess for me, the lucky thing I had was, 
my parents always just wanted me to be happy and they never saw rugby as a way for them to get out of their situation. So I understand why a lot of the boys send their money home all the time and they have the pressure to perform because they know that they're they're essentially the breadwinners for their mum and dad. But I was lucky enough that my parents both worked and like we weren't rich or anything by, you know, like <laughs> any stretch of the imagination, you know, like we, like my mum and dad worked extremely hard to give us everything that they could. And if they could have, they would have given us more. Yeah, But, yeah. you know, like, they had six kids, you know, like four boys and two girls and trying to pay school fees and put clothes on our backs and food on the table, you know, like I know for for them and paying a mortgage, a lot of that was a struggle. So we saw that firsthand and a story I always come back to for my, for me and, and, and my parents was that we used to look forward to Thursdays because that was the day that the Salvation Army would come and they would drop off bread to our house. And it was like, it wasn't like the budget bread. It was like Vogel bread. Yeah. You know, like it was the good, good bread. And, um, you know, I know for my parents, even asking for that help was a stepping stone forward because for a lot of islanders, they don't want to ask for help. They don't want to let people know that they're struggling and I think that has always stuck with me and and the fact that they have always said you know like if you need help just ask yeah. and and for a lot of my career if I didn't know something on the rugby pitch or if I wanted to learn something about the gym or you know how to get fitter or things like that I was never afraid to be I was never afraid to go out there and just be like, hey, I don't know this. Can you help me? Yeah. You know what I mean? And 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 that fact I'm I'm truly and utterly grateful for my parents because as I was coming up through my rugby journey, they never expected anything more from me. Rather they just like Carl said before, they just wanted me to push the envelope and push it forward. Yeah. You know, and give my family and my um, kids the best life that they could get and that's what they tried to do for me and you know I couldn't be more grateful for that but I understand from you know like a lot of a lot of the other boys coming through this that they do end up becoming the breadwinner because a lot of people see the glitz and the glamour of you know super rugby all blacks um NRL, things like that. And while we do get paid a decent wicket, you know, in terms of in terms of, you know, the money that we do get over a year or two years, but it's only for a short time. So mm. you've got to be able to make that money work for you so that when you finish the game, you know, you're not out there digging holes. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with digging holes, but while you while you can, you've got to be able to maximize your opportunity, and and I know sometimes I would have loved to have just kept sending money to my mum and dad, even though they've never asked for it, 
but I know maybe the long players to use that money to invest it mm. and down the track, you know, in you 10, 15 years, that money hopefully has multiplied into yeah. into things that, you know, can be used for generations. Yeah. And, and, and that's the way I see it. And I've been blessed with parents who haven't always expected things, but I know if they need, they know that if they needed it, they could ask and, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever shy away from the fact of helping my mum and dad because they're the ones who have helped me achieve my dream. I think just on the back, that's amazing. And I think just on the back of that, your mum was actually one of the people, when you talk about whether you invest in yourself now so you can repay later or do it now, whatever. But um, your mum was one of the first people to say, oh, you've got to put your own life jacket on before you can save anyone else. That's what she said to me. And that's something that I've carried with me for ages now, particularly with, I suppose, we come from potentially similar situations. And that's something that I've always taken with me from wherever I go. And I think that's, I suppose, testament to the attitude that your mum has and your family has. Yeah. I think one good story I have, and it's a story I don't think this guy would mind me talking about, is my good mate Muller and the work he's done for his family um, and how he's changed the way he sees his money working and what he's done for his family. So I think at the start, um, you know, essentially he was just, you know, becoming all black, blah, 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 blah. And then his family would just ask for money. And, you know, when, you know, he's a kid who's come from Tonga to New Zealand, 18 years old, didn't speak a drop of English. You know, six years later, he's in the All Blacks starting in Dunedin. And a story that's always stuck out for me when I've talked to him is the way his mind has changed over time where originally he would just send money home, just give money, give money, give money. And it comes back to that kind of quote that... um, you hear and it's give a man a fish and you feed him for a day but teach a man a fish and you can feed him for a lifetime and what he's done is he's actually funded businesses for his family back in Tonga and then they've had to work as well to make sure there's money coming in so he hasn't just given them the money to you know pay for their power or go do the groceries at the start he did but then he figured out pretty quickly that that does nothing for him because they just keep coming back, keep coming back. And he's actually started like, Tommy started like a ice cream shop in, in his village. And I think his, his cousin's got a, like a concreting business and he bought the trucks for that. And so what he's done is he's actually empowered them to go out there and work and earn their money rather well. than just wait for a handout. So he's obviously given them a lift, but then the way they get the money now is they've actually got to go out there and be smart and and grind and, you know, like when they're getting their profits, like are they reinvesting it back into their business or are they just taking it and spending it on things that they don't really need to spend it on? So, you know, like big ups to my man for actually deciding that, there was a better way because mm. that you know the easy thing 
for a lot of the poly boys to do is just keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. But eventually, you know, this gravy train of rugby runs out, whether it's tomorrow, whether mm. it's two years away, whether you get a career-ending injury, touch wood. But you know what I mean? So I think absolutely when it comes to comes to that, I think that's pretty special for a guy who's come over to New Zealand and, like I said, not spoken a drop of English but figured out that after rugby there has to be more. Yeah. Well, he speaks French too, eh? Yeah. Well, speaks French, Tongan, English. Man of many traits. <laughs> I think and he speaks better a, English when he's drunk, yeah, eh? Yeah, and not a, not, a bad, uh, not a bad rugby player as well. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to him actually this year. Yeah. Hectic. Oh, I'm not. Might be finally a good signing for the Wasps. <laughs> <laughs> if he passes the ball. <laughs> yeah, so on uh, on the topic of rugby, Rugby World Cup, it's been what, just over a week now since we've, since we've gone through the Rugby World Cup. Japanese, in my opinion, have really embraced the World Cup. Was, fans. You know, 50, yeah, the fans, 15,000 at training runs. The you know The crowds are absolutely amazing. Full stadiums. Facilities look amazing. You're seeing all the players really embrace the the, the culture. Uh, somewhere, you know what I've loved it. It's somewhere different outside of the traditional nations of, of of playing rugby. Outside of the six nations, outside of New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, we will not grow the game if we don't embrace some of these some of these countries. You know there are. It, it feels somewhat that still remains in the powerhouses of the, these nations. It will be for the next we are, but it seems to be they still want to hold a grasp on that. So I think Japan's showing up. Obviously today, early or early yesterday, Japan upset Ireland, which is... Massive. <laughs> you know, Ireland, so happy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, your, your fellow countryman, TW. Ireland being number one going into the World Cup. They were number yeah, one yet. Going number one. one. Number one going into the World Cup. Bigger for you, bigger than the South African upset, the, the Japanese South Af- upset of South Africa in 2015? Yeah, I think so. Particularly in this instance where it actually has an influence on, on where they sit within the pool. I don't know if they really thought they had a chance of making the quarters last World Cup cycle, but now they legitimately could finish top of their pool. Like if they beat Samoa and Scotland, which is a big emotional effort, I think from a skill set perspective, they'll def- they're definitely capable. But from the emotional output, like whether they have the ability to get there again, but they could legit finish top of their pool, potentially knock out Scotland or Ireland. And if you look back eight years ago, that Japan would do that. Like that's it's unheard of, right? Massive yeah, yeah. in terms of the landscape of rugby. Mm. Oh, probably comes down to you know two names: the Jamie Joe effect and Tony Brown effect, lads. You reckon? Um, oh well, I just from a personal yeah. perspective, you mm. know, I've been blessed to have played under both of them for a big part of my career, and. You know, I take my hat off to Jamie Joe because when we started at the Highlanders, we're a bunch of, you know, misfits, a bunch of When was this? going back to 2011, right? Yeah, 2011. So about at 2010, I think only Adam Thompson was at the club and Jimmy Cowan. So they were our only two All Blacks and he was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to get a whole bunch of young guys who are keen and eager and we'll just see how we go. First two seasons, we weren't too bad. Won more games than we lost. And then in 2013, we obviously brought down um, some pretty big heavy hitters, you know, like we had Colin Slade, Ma'anonu, Tamari Ellison, Jose Gear, Andrew Hoare. Andrew Hoare, Tony Woodcock, uh, Brad Thorne. 
So we had we're some. Good. Yeah, <laughs> we had this running joke where we were hanging out with Owen for the first eight weeks because we were Owen eight. Owen <laughs> <laughs> eight. Yeah, because yeah, I remember I completely forgot about that year because it was hyped, right? Because yeah. um, if you, they all had troubles at their own clubs, and then it was kind of be this almost uh, like this all star team that they built down at the Landers, and yeah. then it was not. Not even close to that. Mate, before the season, I was just like, boys, jump on the bandwagon, get to the tab and slam it. But, yeah, uh, yeah obviously we had a terrible year. And um, What do you, do you think there was a, like a cult, cultural – what do you think that came down to? Because you, you think on paper, you know, that was a, probably at the time probably the strongest team or if not, you know, top two or three in, in, in the Super Rugby. Yeah, I just think we went away from – I don't think – I. Th- a lot of people who were um, who were in that environment said we probably went away from our values mm. of what the Highlanders been and what uh, we were about. You know, kind of like working class team um, togetherness. The team was bigger than everybody, but we had a whole bunch of superstars. And I'm not saying the superstars were the problem. It's just that we just didn't gel together mm. because the Highlanders at that time were a team used to having their backs against the wall yep. and everybody riding them off. And we went from two kind of not bad seasons. Like we didn't make the playoffs or anything, but heading into 2013, everyone was like, these guys are top four, easy. Mm. And then to have that absolutely just blow up and smoke. Yeah. was disastrous and then everybody was calling for Jamie Joe's head and you know no one wanted him at the club and you know for the for the powers above to have the faith that you know what we'll, we'll stick with this guy and we'll see what happens and you know he was he was smart enough to bring on Tony Brown in 2014 and we made our first playoffs in in, in 12 years and then you know, the year after that, it was a final at the Caton and, you know, the rest is history. So, What do you think was the big turning point, though? So, like, you talk about you had that team full of superstars and it's, I suppose it's not like you take the superstars away and then you start fresh. Like, you still have to rebuild that culture. Like, what was that big turning point within the the Highlanders club I suppose that really propelled you guys because that 2014 year was the first year you guys solidified yourselves and then those next few years you went on a good playoff runs and everything like there was obviously a, a key turning point within that cycle that you think or yeah I I really think we went back to what it meant to play for the Highlanders and what it meant for the people and and how the team was gonna kind of combined as a unit rather than a whole bunch of individuals. Yeah. And I think what we got right was the balance between working hard and having fun. You know, Jamie Joe came from a, you know, like he came from the Laurie Mains area, like pretty old school. Like in my first couple of years, we were doing fucking down and ups for days and like he was just thrashing us, you know, and then he, he brought Tony Brown on board who had just finished playing rugby so he had that kind of rapport with the players in terms of he knew what made them tick and he knew how to get the best out of them and I think having sort of the hard-ass coach with the sort of new 
innovative coach who understood the modern player worked perfectly. Yeah, interesting. And I think I think that was the catalyst for change. And it came. It also came down to the culture. You know, Jamie Joe is very good at bringing people together. And and Tony Brown's also very very good at getting every ounce of talent out of a player, even though he's not the most talented player. If that makes sense, yeah, you know, kind of like at the Melbourne Storm. If you look at the Melbourne Storm, they're like a team, but the players that go there have come from other teams, perceived offcuts of teams. Exactly, and they go on to be to do really well. Yeah, and he understands how to get the most. You know, like mm. he's really, he really knows how to squeeze the lemon out of every single player and get the most out of their talent. So do yeah. you think, uh, just kind of going back to the World Cup, do you think that's that's what he's bought out of this this Japan, or they, they both have? And I have to give a little bit of credit to Eddie Jones. He left them, you know, kind of after their World Cup. And then it was really required these guys to really continue that momentum on from that. I couldn't name for the life of me one of the, you know, if you put a gun to my head, I wouldn't, before the game today or before the World Cup, maybe one I could think of. The most important player, Fumiaki, brother. Oh, of course, (laughs) Tanaka. But, you know, that also shows the level of that it is not a team of superstars. You know, there is not one single player who's, out and out the guy who, who's going to lack of a bit of a be the top point for the World Cup for Japan but it seems you know today they were just to see them play today it was no fluke you know the way they, they went out today it was dominated Ireland in a lot of those minutes in, in the game yeah. today yeah. I'd love to know what Jamie Joe said to them before the game some of his speeches have been like next level How's it? Yeah. like you just run out there and be like wow I, I want to like you I'm know like to die today. yeah yeah, yeah. He, like, Jamie Joe was saying he's like you know We've been playing this game for two years now. They've yeah. been playing for us since Monday. Yeah. So that is a yeah, that is a brilliant like, quote. And just in terms of going back to what you're saying around Tony Brown gets the best, maybe out of the skill set side of things, and Jamie Joseph was old school in terms of the conditioning, like not to get too analytical, but Japan were going thirteen plus phases in a lot of their periods of play, and I think their time with ball in hand was through the roof. But their ability to hold on to the ball was like the endurance side of things. Mm. But then to maintain position and be constructive with it is Tony Brown as well, I think. And that's like, yeah, massive kudos to them. And what they did today, Islanders' world-renowned defense, they made them look pretty fucking useless. Pretty average, yeah. Yeah, when I watched it, I was like, far. It was like I was watching a mirror image of somewhere I had already been. Like it just had Jamie Joe and, you know, T. Brown all over it. Yeah. And it just made me think, like, oh, those guys really know how to muster every little bit of talent, every little bit of work out of their players. Even though on paper, you know, like Ireland, Ireland beat them to the punch in that starting 15, like 14 times out of 15, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and it's it's a credit to the way they coach as a unit because I just think when you play for those two, you realise how much they believe in you. You realise how much they're on your side and you're just willing to run for a brick wall. And and you go out there, you go out there free. You go out there like just ready to go. And, And one thing that's always stuck with me from Tony Brown, he's always said PTT and, and all that means is pull the trigger. Like, don't be afraid to, if 
if it if you get the ball inside your twenty two and you want to throw a miss pass and you think it's on, just fucking do it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, don't be like brain dead and just be like, oh, I got a kick here. Like, if you think it's on and you want to have a crack, like, just do it and then deal with the consequences later. It's actually been getting me into a bit of trouble with our club. <laughs> <laughs> how so? How so? Um, no, we just have a policy of all kickoffs work to the 15 box kick. And I'm just like, fuck that. Like, corner for the half back ball. First game, I tried to throw like a big miss pass, <laughs> forward pass, like scrum yeah. down on our 22. The poor execution, but it was on. It was on. Yeah. But no, just like, yeah, I'm much, very much orientated towards pull the trigger type mentality. Whereas, I think I've noticed being on the side of the world is it's extremely reserved in terms of structure. Well, not even so much structure. Like it's not that they play with structure. It's just that you're in the 22. You have to kick it. This is this is what. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, the yeah. cliche this is. is. Yeah. Uh, will we see a miss ball from you ever again? Or uh, yeah, if it's on. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of show and go. <laughs> a few shows, not much go. <laughs> show and slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read it. So it would be silly to talk about the World Cup and not talk about the All Blacks. So we're a week on, big performance last week against South Africa. But unfortunately, which now means we will likely play Ireland in the quarterfinal. But you got to, at some point you do play hard teams at, at a World Cup. So that's, that's the reality of that. But last week, 3-2-1, your, your thoughts your, for you? Well, I think three for me is probably... Probably go RD3, and, yeah. maybe. <laughs> Without being too biased, I know he's our top boy, but... Yeah, yeah I think I'm picking Ardy on, on, on a three. Two, I'm picking Bodie. Bodie, for sure. Yeah, he was right up there. And a one, I actually really enjoyed the performance of Karen Reed. Karen Reed, I thought Scott Barrow was big. I thought Anton was big. Oh, yeah. yeah. Be, Anton was, mate, Anton was massive. Good, Anton good was, oh. Mate, you love him, though. Legit. Man crush. He's fucking good. <laughs> Is that your man crush? I'll be like in terms of a centre skill set. He's. Do you reckon you're like a poor man's version of Anton? <laughs> Probably a bit faster. <laughs> no. Yeah, definitely poor man. If Albie had a long ball on him. Mate, you got to get a freaking wrench to get at that ball out of his hands. I know. That's Hans Hungus. Show and go king. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's got he's a show with plenty of money. Yeah, so I thought, yeah, I thought he was massive. And it al- yeah. almost it felt like he was before going into that World Cup was kind of your coming off the bench if not if not not even in the 23 and then now he's probably the guy now right at the, at the moment and the press conference has yeah. even said so as well it's hard to say go how do you not book him now as your as your starting starting centre outside centre so yeah, I think he, no, he's, 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 been, he's been massive yeah but again I always find these World Cups that All Blacks can be well, you know now they've got you know, fairly fairly regular teams going in, yeah, and and not still not to underestimate them, but I think it'll be comfortable for the boys. I think you got to give massive kudos to uh, South Africa. Mm. They uh, they came to absolutely play and fuck that chiseling Colby, eh? little bastard. Right. He's he a is sponsor as well. <laughs> He's lining. I felt that freaking. What do you think it is? Because uh, you see a lot of the like little jinky guys, but he seems to have quite a lot of power as well. Like he's yeah, I think he benches like one fifty, one sixty. Really? Yeah. So he, he looks small, but he's powerful. Yeah. But yeah, bro, he tore us to shreds. Eh? 
Ooh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, he was pretty solid, eh? And uh, his rush defense as well. Like, I thought we scored well in transition. Like, those two tries we scored were in transition. But in terms of actually constructing tries off phase play, I don't think. My memory's a bit short, but I'm not sure if we actually did that. With the All Blacks, the game. no, not not really. But just going back to Ardy, some of the turnovers he was making in crucial moments in the 22. Mate, that man has got an enlarged heart. Eh? He's yeah. uh, got some <laughs> on him, mate. Honestly, yeah. like particularly even for the Canes before we got into the All Blacks, his was, engine is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah and, right. and we're not plugging him because you, you are wearing his t-shirt as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, odds. <laughs> Cheers, Brass. Yep. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, but no, quality's not that great. But <laughs> you know the message. It's about the message, man. But uh, otherwise, otherwise, really looking forward to this World Cup. Who final? Who are you saying? I don't know, bro. I, I don't care as long as New Zealand are in there. But I'd like to see some of the tier two nations carve up and get a fair crack. To be honest. Yeah. What do you mean in terms of fair crack? Mate, that blatant shoulder charge today, Argentina versus Tonga, that's a fucking disgrace. Yeah, I can't say I saw it. So yeah, To I, miss I, that. I if that was a Tongan dude, straight red card. Do you reckon? 100%. Oh, straight up. What's the linesman looking at? He's just looking straight at him. That's just... Well, so like, no, no card at all? No card at all, no penalty, no nothing, just out. Like, yeah. come on, man. Come on, bro. What do you think in terms of the scheduling from like the top tier nations to the lower tier nations? Yeah, well, everybody's got a short schedule, but if you look at it, if you look at the scheduling, like the tier one nations, when they're on the short schedule, they're playing the tier two nations. It's not like yeah. they're playing tier one nations back to back, back, to back yeah. you know, or it's, you know, I think at the last World Cup, I think Fiji played. Aussie, and then four days later they played England or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or the other way around or or, or something. So it, it is hard for the Tier 2 nations, you know, like big ups to Uruguay. Like that was an awesome win um, for them. But, you know, I, I feel I do feel sorry for all the Tier 2 nations. And, and that's me personally. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. Whatever. No one's No one's going to agree, but... I don't really care. Yeah, no fear. Stay yeah, true. and I think just just quickly, I know we we made that post earlier this week around players who are, and we, uh, we something we touched upon in the last episode briefly. Players who had previously played for Tier One nations, mostly New Zealand and Australia, who have links to to the islands, who who have Pacific heritage. You know, do you do you think? that they should be able to play, you know, should be representing these nations. I know there's, there's a wider story to it, you know, there's, but, you know, kind of, you know, to me it seems surely it's a no-brainer for, for the sake of the growth of the game. Yeah, and I think you just, if you don't, you just have these dormant rugby players who are just playing professional rugby player in France who are extremely high profile, have mass amounts of knowledge and they're just sitting there making Euros for some private billionaire when they could be given back to their team, their nation, their mm. country. But I know I suppose Sops, you you're actually a player in that situation now. I imagine you have some pretty good insight. Yeah, I'm 
I'd love to be able to give back to the Pacific Islands, especially Samoa, or be available for that. But obviously, I understand that there's limitations and there's regulations and and how those get changed. I don't know. Um, yeah. But for me, I've seen what it can do if those eligibility laws um, have been sort of relaxed a bit. You you only have to look at teams. And different codes like rugby league and, and, and what happened with Tonga and the support and the growth of the game and, and the knowledge that's been able to be passed on has only made the game stronger. And whether or not um, people agree that it will, it will make the game stronger or whether or not people are afraid that that'll make the game stronger and challenge some of these you know, tier one nations. And I just think that it would just make for a better spectacle come the World Cup if more of the tier two nations were able to have access to these players. Obviously, there needs to be some form of stand-down period or or whatnot, and you can't just go from going from a tier one nation to a tier two back up to a tier one. Like I think if you end up playing and then go and play in your south overseas and then go to tier two and then say you go back to New Zealand, you can't be picked again for the All Blacks yeah. or, or things like that. I, I'm not too sure, but I think personally I'd love to see the game grow and see some of these players pass on their knowledge yeah. to the next generation. And I think, you know, some of these names, not you, but um, – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we – it's like with him, but they should, these guys should be at World Cups. 100%. You know, Charlie Piertel is the one, you know, I just look at him like, I watch him, you go, you know, his, he, he should be at the world stage and he should be, you know, because these are the guys who, who, who make highlights, who, who really show the game to people, you know, people who don't see it or, or, or you know, only really pure fans love the whole, can watch a whole 80 minute game, but seeing some of his highlights and what he can do and his skill set, his athleticism and what he can bring to the game, you know, there, there is, there is not a lot of people that can do that. You know, and there's a lot of guys in that whole team that, that we decided on is these guys should be there you know, in, in some form, not maybe not all of them, maybe some, but like, you know, how particularly when they want, when they want to be there as well. Right. You know, some, some of them have said that they'd love to go back and, and, and represent their their uh, country of heritage because they're, they're so proud you know and we all, all are so proud so i think that there has to be something addressed towards that and i think everyone's just a little it seems everyone's just a bit precious on the whole i think the the sevens was like a small step to be able to mm. but there needs to be continued movement after that yeah. to to open up the eligibility laws or create a bit more leniency if you will but yeah i definitely think like you look at the pool of talent which aren't playing in this World Cup who yeah, could be doing amazing things and would make, imagine if in the pool games you had three or four competitive teams, like the amount of traction or amount yeah. of audience or the hype that that would get, you know, from just in terms of a, like a product for consumers, like that's massive. And I think the other reality though on, uh, for, you know, and this is particularly with French clubs who hold a lot of these players rent for ransom, right? So either they are currently playing for any, and a lot of the French clubs are guilty for this, where they want to go then represent um, their you know, 
a tier two nation, the clubs will either you know, restrict their pay, cut their pay when they do go away on, on overseas tours. So not only are these players, in most cases, funding their trip to get over to Auckland or wherever they need to get to, then they're getting their pay cut from their French club, you know, who, who are the 99% of the money, if not 100% of the money they make in a year. And then, and, and that, that, and so a lot of players I know are in, are in still in France, not, not, not left to the World Cup because they know it's going to affect their money. And you can't blame them. You cannot blame them for that because they mm. are, they are just, you know, they have to, you know, they have to secure the bag first. They have to support their family. And that is, you cannot knock that. Again, they should be, you know, they were on choice for there. Um, and I know that the island coaches don't knock them either because they understand that that's what they challenge, that's what they face. Belgium Tutanga Law is, 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 a, is, a, is a good example where his contract was pulled when he when he told the club he was going to go to was he was he was going to represent someone in the World Cup they pulled his contract yeah and they, those things just don't happen to players where they have more more chips on the table so more leverage yeah yeah so yeah and so I think World Rugby's got to find a way to to resolve that I you know we the three of us aren't going to sit on the table and, and figure it out figure it out tonight at whatever time nearly five o'clock in the morning um but but you know, if someone doesn't come at 12 o'clock <laughs> yeah 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 there's another fine yeah we may have figured it out by then but um but yeah i think i think raising awareness of that and talking about it and you know, kind of saying you know, more people seeing them going these guys should be at world cups then i think People go, oh yeah, they should be. Why? Why aren't they? So I think raising those questions and putting those questions on world rugby and you know in this very close community of world rugby, where they're just trying to get their own home nations, and and fair enough, and New Zealand's guilty of that too. But it's it has to be where it's for every as a game for everyone, really, isn't yeah. it? And so and it should be for everyone, particularly if we want to transfer to this global model that they talk about so yeah. much. Yeah. So yeah. Otherwise, I think that's probably us for the. Well, we'll wrap it up there for tonight, boys. Been awesome having you guys here. Thanks for coming all the way to Lem. Um, last but not least, thank you to all our listeners who have tuned in for the first two phases. Been pretty cool to hear your guys' feedback. If you want to follow our journey, then hit us up on Instagram. We're at Third Phase Pod. And if there's any questions that you want to hit us up on, just DM us and we'll get back to you. But like, subscribe, share, tell your mates. That'd be really cool and we would really appreciate that. If you if you like the t-shirt that I'm wearing, um, hit up Artie Severe Clothing on Instagram. He's got some cool clothes on there and it'd be cool to support the bro. He's over in Japan right now doing his thing and lighting the world on fire. But until next time, thank you very much and we'll see you on the third phase. Uh, I said the story days are better, bro. Yeah. Ever since I started telling stories to the metronome, the stormy days are better, bro. Ever since I started telling stories to the metronome, the stormy days are better, bro. Yeah. Ever since I started telling stories to the metronome, the stormy days are better, bro.